Hello again, Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30, taken right out of the pages of the monthly print journal, Storyboard Memphis. Here we bring Memphis personalities and shapers right into the WYPL studios for 30 minutes of in-depth conversation to hear about their passions, their initiatives, or to talk a little bit about what makes Memphis Memphis. I'm your host, Bart Fleischer, publisher of Storyboard Memphis, and I'll be with you for the next half an hour of Storyboard 30. Before I introduce my guest today, I want to read something that kind of will hopefully frame our discussion today. And this is actually from something that uh, will appear in the upcoming issue of Storyboard. So first of all, this is a quote. There's not much left to save. There has been a great deal of milling around on this thing. We've had old versus young, authority versus individual initiative, profits versus some responsibility to the past. There has been very little interest generated by Memphians to preserving the background of their lives. That is from historian and author Dr. Charles Crawford, and that was in 1976 he said that. And I go on to say uh, for this article that he's Dr. Crawford is obviously very bitter here, but, um, but this was during an era in Memphis where Memphians were witnessing a, a time period from 1957 to 1977 when under the uh, authorization of federally funded slum clearance programs, the Memphis Housing Authority demolished roughly 3,000 structures, over 560 acres, an era when anything labeled, quote-unquote, substandard was bulldozed to the ground. During that period, we lost uh, downtown train depots, uh, the old Union Station. Gone were all the old, great downtown movie palaces, the Orpheum, managed to stay put. Gone was the Venetian facade of the Memphis Steam Laundry on Jefferson, um, and from Front Street to out past Lauderdale, hundreds of structures in, in predominantly African-American neighborhoods had been bulldozed or otherwise lost to host of suspicious fires or outright arson. So that was along Beale Street, Vance Avenue. And I like to bring that up because my two guests today are really, in, in their positions, are really passionate about historic preservation. So I really want to frame today's discussion around historic preservation because, after all, that, that's what you all do. So from Arc Inc., it's an architectural firm downtown, on uh, currently on 88, down on 88 Union. Valentina Cochran and Chooch Pickard, welcome to Storyboard 30. Thanks okay. for having us. Thank yeah, you. thank you for coming in. Um, we've been wanting to get this this discussion in for quite some time. I think the, the timing is really appropriate, considering some of the news you all have to share coming up in September. But first of all, w- why don't we start by getting your take on, on that, because I... I, on, on what I just read out to you, because one of the things I admire about your firm and about your individual passions is that word substandard, because we, we see it we see it all the time in Memphis, where a structure based on a certain perhaps developer's point of view is substandard and needs to come down. But you all will often step in and decide and, and, and help a developer take a look and take another look at it. Um, so first of all, let's. Why don't we talk about what what Arc Inc. in terms of its mission does? Arc Inc. was founded by David Sherman and Joey Hagen 25 years ago, yeah. um, and they were both uh, had a lot of experience at the time with renovating old buildings, uh, particularly with uh, Tony Bologna. They're they're credited with doing a lot of uh, a lot of things back in the day through the the 80s and early 90s. I actually originally joined the firm in the summer of 95 as an intern, worked there for two summers while I was getting my master's degree with a focus in preservation. Mm -hmm. And so my career started really early with them as well and have come back a couple years ago in as a partner. And Valentina, you're at how many years now? 15, I believe. I'll be 15 December. So, So the firm has been focused, um, a large portion of the, the firm's work has been fo- focused on preservation, adaptive reuse, and restoration since for the last 25 years, plus beyond that with, with Joey and David's careers. Yeah. Um, so we really feel it's important to preserve the authenticity of Memphis. And, you know, a lot of these structures who people claim are substandard, they just aren't. They just need some help. Um, and we've we find over the years that the the bones behind these buildings are much, uh, oftentimes, much better than than uh, buildings that are built uh, today. To to give listeners a perspective on some of the work that your firm has done over the last really 
15, well, now 20 years you mentioned. What are some of the structures and some of the, some of the, the structures around town that, that folks would recognize that you all have worked on? Hunt Feelin' Home, um, Lincoln American Tower, the Crest Building on Main Street, the old Farrell Calhoun factory and warehouse on front across from the pyramid. Yes. That, that somebody just purchased. Yeah, just yeah. purchased. Yeah. yeah. So it was Erickson Group. Uh, then I, I think even in our new construction, we have kept our roots of historic preservation and renovation at heart with um, Legends Park and University Place. Legends Park is on Poplar across from Le Bonner and University Place is where Crump turns into Lamar. And we really worked hard to reestablish street grids and connect back to the historic neighborhoods. So it was all new construction, except that we didn't just land something there that didn't really connect back. And that was important to us and all of that design. So I'm trying to think of any other major projects that people would recognize. Well, you've got Barton Flats on, um, on Front Street that stretches over to Wagner. You've got uh, the Nettleton condos at uh, Front and Nettleton. Beverly Hall on Central. Beverly Hall on Central. Beverly Hall on Central. I'm trying to place that. It's a private residence um, right um, past the University Club as you're heading east on Central. Or okay. a few houses past the University Club. And I think that's really important to note that, that your firm isn't just focused on preservation. It's also focused on new construction that, as you said, honors the, the neighborhood, honors the history of the neighborhood, honors the street grid. And this, of course, is by design. This is, this is the, the way that uh, Joey Hagan... And David Sherman and David Sherman, a fan of the company, and you're located in an historic building at the same time, right there, which is which was not always 88 was not always called 88 Union. Yeah, well, 88 Union is actually a com- combination of I guess it was the Three Sisters building and like yeah. some uh, surrounding property, which, which a lot of people knew it as as the Business Journal building back in. I guess the early '90s, but we're actually in kind of an addition to it that was was connected, which was an old fire station that's above what's now uh, Mesquite Chop House. A lot of people would know Sleep Out Louis back in the day was underneath us. Oh, that was okay. that was our quote unquote large conference room <laughs> downstairs <laughs> um, back when I first interned. But um, yeah, so we're it's a it's a great complex of buildings there now that were obviously renovated years and years ago. Yeah, so the I've also heard um it called the Farnsworth building which is adjoining which is the one facing Main Street there. And you mentioned the Three Sisters building. We we're we've been doing uh through the the paper, you know, the the Don Newman series with Memphis Heritage and Emily Cohen. That building, the Farnsworth/Three Sisters building is is always prominent in those old Main Street pictures. And you're right across the street from parking can be fun. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> and I, I mention that because of because of the, the legacy of that block and what that used to be. That used to be... It was a movie theater. I don't yeah. recall which one it was. Exactly which one, too. And, mm-hmm. and actually, that garage, um, David worked on it when he worked with... Tony Bologna, mm-hmm. and they were disappointed that that theater had to come down, but the, they made an effort to make that garage fit in with the fabric on that street, and so yeah. I think it, it does a pretty good job of that. Yeah, when you're walking down the street, you know, you almost would not notice there was a garage there, and the brick brick facade that's, that faces Union, it does blend in nicely. Yeah, and I mentioned that because, and, and again, I mentioned uh, the framework in in the reading for this conversation because really Arc Inc. and firms like it really come out of that that time period when so many preservationists were interested in looking at what do we have left in downtown? Uh, what's left? Um, what can we preserve? Talk about some of the, how your clientele comes to you all. How does that work? Magic. Um, <laughs> we have, because of Joey and David's legacy of being downtown for so long and they're um before they were at, together as a as a firm they were david was at telling bologna's office so he has this longevity in downtown and i think 
we ha- just have a history of working. A lot of our clients are repeat clients, and we've worked with them for years. We have a current client that we're working with that he and David shared office space when they owned, they were they were pioneers down in South Maine, which is now not even that far south when they were um, in some office space down there. So mm. I think that a lot of our were our clients come from past work. And I, and I think, you know, when I came into the firm two years ago, part of that was to, it, w- it was kind of a new era for the firm. Valentina picked up as majority shareholder in the firm, so we are female-owned. Um, and at that same time, I was bringing in a new energy and, and my connections that I had built through my own private practice and consulting and nonprofit work through the years and other community work. So I think it was a good mesh of their experience of connections over the years and, and then the two of us as the younger generation in the firm bringing in our, our expertise and connections as well. The energy of your office there upstairs is really something. It, it's um, one of the things I noticed on the website, which is I, I found it interesting that you all put it on the website, but it, it's true. You have a a killer annual Mardi Gras party. <laughs> and I mentioned that because it, it's, it's, it's rare to have a firm like this invite, invite stakeholders, invite clientele, but also just invite enthusiasts into the party once a year. And I don't know how much actual architectural discussions are had during these parties. <laughs> we talk a lot about... Um, like where I am in the epicenter building on Cooper, 90, uh, the uh, 902 South Cooper. There's a great energy in the building, and I find the same thing in your offices. There's a great, great energy there. And that's got to be by design to a, de- to a degree, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, Joey and David's vision from the beginning was if you can't have fun doing what you're doing for a living, you shouldn't be doing it. And they they always emphasized that we would be a close family that, that has fun together and produces good work together. We talked about new construction for for a moment. We talked about uh, preservation, but there's all kinds of of services you all offer in terms of commercial, residential, preservation. We mentioned educational structures, multifamily, and also restaurants. And then your uh, other services that uh, are listed on your on your site: to building code and zoning analysis, building models, renderings, fundraising, graphics, event assistance and so on, uh, representing neighborhood associations, uh, the Downtown Memphis Commission, the Landmarks Commission, Office of Planning and Development, and City Engineer's Office. And I mention those because, you know, sometimes we think about architecture and we just think about the look and the feel of a building, but you're really dealing with every aspect of the construction. Yeah, you know, you mentioned all of those different um, types of architecture in a, in a the, big reason why we have specialties across such a wide range is that our main specialty is preservation and adaptive reuse, and that can be anything. And so you do cross paths with, with all of those di- different types of things, you know, and, and, and then my expertise coming in as an urban designer is kind of trying to start build, building up the zoning and, and code analysis and those kind of things that um, are a little more developer driven mm-hmm. and um, just with my experience working one-on-one with developers over the years I think we give a um, a service that other architects really can't because we I've, I've been in the trenches with them a little more than a standard architect would if you're just tuning in this is Mark Fleischer your host to storyboard 30 this is FM 89.3 WYPL we are sitting down with Valentina Cochran and Chooch Pickard of Arc Inc and I should mention also that Arc Inc. Is, is one of Storyboard's sponsors, and I thank you both for that very much. In talking about adaptive reuse, it's interesting, you know, in in my work and the folks that I work with, we will often find ourselves evaluating developments that have been proposed. And I don't want you, I don't want to put you both on the spot with this, but it, it's interesting you you bring the urban planning in, for example, and and it's not just the architecture, as I said, it's not just the structure. It's it's how it how a, a building uh, fits the streetscape, right? How it fits into a neighborhood. Talk about why that's so important to the layman. You know, I I think one of the frustrations I have 
but in the last couple of years with Midtown in general, Midtown's really taking off. I think a lot of that has to do with the Midtown overlay that um, I actually authored. Um, I'm very proud of that work uh, that we've done. It's caused a lot of new development to happen. And, you know, for years we've been fighting for to keep historic structures, and, and we have to kind of redefine what are historic structures. We obviously have more structures on the National Register of Historic Places than most cities. I think we're number six in the country. But those aren't the only important structures. And I've, Midtown comes to mind immediately. It isn't just Central Gardens or Evergreen Homes. There are amazing commercial buildings that are just what I would call Midtown vernacular. They add the character. Nothing special may have happened there historically, but they add the character that we all recognize as Midtown that can never be replaced. Yeah. Uh, and developers keep coming in and tearing these structures down, not realizing that just because it's not on the National Register doesn't mean it's not important to our character or our authenticity. And we have a lot of activists somewhat fighting these fights, but not really understanding necessarily what angle they should be fighting these. Because they'll either give up and say, well, you know, you can tear that down, but you need to build it so that it fits the neighborhood. Well, that's never going to happen to the limit that to the extent that they would like. So they've lost the battle starting from the beginning by not really understanding and helping the rest of the community understand why some of these one, two-story old uh, buildings are, are important to the character of Midtown. Yeah, we, we, just, we just saw the, um, the, the strip on Union, uh, 1615 to 1650-something, where the Happy Day Cleaners was, which, of course, had that fire a couple of years ago, but the Wild Smith Drugstore, that strip just, I mean, literally just from the last few weeks, you know, demolished. And she's just like you said, it, it's arguably you know, nothing significant has ever happened there, but it was part of the fabric of, of Midtown. Those were 1920s. Uh, you said, I like the term Midtown vernacular, you know, because there's the term commercial vernacular structures or, or, or style. But those, those, are, those are what make Midtown Midtown. Those are what, you know, part of the fabric of what makes Memphis Memphis, right? There's those structures. We hope that whoever whoever develops the structures that are going to go there one or two stories that it does fit the fabric but who's to who's to say we our our codes are not what's it called form based yeah we don't have form based codes which we can't tell a developer exactly how this thing needs to look it's kind of quasi form based when they first started developing the the unified development code i think that was kind of the goal was to do a form base, but there was so push, so much pushback from developers that it got completely watered down, which is why we had to come in and do overlays. Mm-hmm. And even those have been watered down since they were created. And so I, you know, I really hope the city can come, come back and look at it all again. And really, I think Memphis 3.0 is kind of a part of looking at that, but I think there are ways to keep things at office and planning and development efficient. You know, the the overlays are cumbersome for them. Well, mm-hmm. make it, make it easier. If if we demanded higher standards within the within the 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 240 and 40 loop, then their job would be very easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I think I think that's what the overlays do is demand a higher standard of construction that that then allow a developer to feel that their investment is secure because their neighbor is going to be held to that same standard. And really, all of Memphis needs to be a higher standard, but you've got to take baby steps. To the average person, why are these structures, why are these older structures so important? Because, you know, a lot of people just love them, but to the average person, why are they so important? I think that the older structures make up um, part of your your feeling for Memphis as as humans as people we inhabit architecture and we inhabit spaces and we have emotion attached to those feelings and even if you're driving down Union as I do daily at um, probably a too fast of a speed yeah. some of that rhythm it's more than the building it's a it's a connection between and Union has seen a lot of development from its by its inception to now and it's really seen a lot of that and. I think that these structures are important because they are who 
who we are. And if you can step back and go, well, this building isn't doing what it should, and it's just this little building, well, it's it's so much more. It's so much stretch. And, you know, in the flip side, well, everything's changed on Union. It doesn't – it matters. It matters that you have these connections between point A and point B and what you see along the way. I, we have done um, – recently we're working on some commercial infill on Union where there was a building it was torn down years ago and it was a newer building and we were putting a a commercial structure there and we worked very hard on studying the architectural building forms along union all for blocks there Mm -hmm. not only complying with the medical district overlay but looking about how that would feel to the people who would use that space and i think that sometimes is lost in the new um in newer construction or just in just the thought of what buildings do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what they did, the other thing that, that wasn't mentioned is is those older buildings were, uh, it was easier for pedestrians to relate to that architecture because things were at a pedestrian scale. People were walking back then and the automobile was not the primary mode of transportation. Yeah. It was public transit or walking. And so um, if you get rid of that you we work away from where we're trying to go which is you know using more new urbanism standards which are exactly like old urbanism yeah. uh traditional neighborhood design and and that's what's important and when we lose all of this we become anywhere usa i mean memphis has this authenticity because of these buildings and that feeling we're not orlando we're not you know just you know, new plop down and, and create some fantasy. It's um, where we have that authenticity and we just really can't lose it. Well, and we, as historic preservation architects, well, we also do new construction. I would say that probably we're 50 50 and we have a, we have a, we'll really look at a building and understand, but if it needs significant renovation or some significant changes and sometimes they do and so but you can do it in a way that that reflects the history of the neighborhood of the town why uh, and again i don't want you i don't want to put you in the position of picking on fellow uh developers uh, or not developers but fellow architects or anything but um Often, so often, I, I again, I look at I look at an application and I wonder what was what is the architect thinking, and I'm talking about other some other firms, not not some of our more renowned ones locally, because I think they all get it when it comes to the right kind of a structure. But oftentimes, I'm seeing plans developed. They look like structures that that were built in the 70s that didn't work then and don't work now. We we like to say address the street and or however you want to put it. Is there some what what's missing in this? Do you think you know the firms you may be referring to are more than likely located in the suburbs and yeah. they don't on a daily basis walk to lunch and walk by structures that are authentic Memphis and they just don't you know they they probably live out there too they don't you know we we live and breathe Midtown downtown every day. All day and all night, you know. It's yeah. it's rare that we get out out past the uh, the loop, and I think that makes a difference when you're in it every day. You understand it a little bit more, and so I've noticed the the architecture that I'm more, I guess, offended by <laughs> um, come from architects that that really aren't down here in in the middle of it all the time. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I. For the average person that they can relate to is that so much of our, I'll say, post-60s architecture was built so that you could park your car in front of the building. You know, so parking came first. And if parking comes first, then that means parking fronts the street. And we all know, you think it's the supermarkets and department stores and even office complexes where the building is set way, way back you know, past 50 yards of parking, right? And that is the typical suburban model. You bring that downtown and much of Midtown, it's the opposite. And it should be the opposite, right? You'll have some news to share, which is, um, and it's not, might not be news news, but it's, but you're moving from the, the space at 88 Union, which I already described as 
such great energy. <laughs> but you're moving into another space uh, coming in September. Yeah, we, we have a long-term client who a couple years ago purchased the second and third floors of the Claridge House, which most people know as uh, residential condos. Well, the second and third floor are, also, are actually office spaces, um, uh, Memphis Area Legal Services and the Memphis uh, Fair Housing Authority were were in those spaces previously. Well, we're in the process of renovating the third floor for that client for another tenant, and we discovered a beautiful 1,900-square-foot space that overlooked Main Street with three huge arched windows that had these 10-foot um, acoustic tile ceilings in it. And we knew something was up with that, that it was more of a special space than than at first glance. And we realized that it had been, two-thirds of that space had been part of the original Balinese ballroom, which was the grand ballroom of the Claridge Hotel when it was originally built in the 20s. Um, and currently, part of our space that we've now purchased was part of the front part of that ballroom. And on the other side of our wall is what's now the uh, in the indoor pool for the Claridge House uh, condos. And so um, we've torn down all of the office walls and, and the ceilings in there, and we now have a gorgeous 24-foot space that we're renovating. We discovered the old terrazzo floors were underneath all of the carpet glue, oh, wow. and we've painstakingly <laughs> scraped all of those down, and we're going to be polishing them, and it's just such a hidden gem. The walls, a couple of the walls in the ceiling are terracotta block. There's ornate plaster with acanthus leaves in our conference room space that we're going to have. It's it's going to be really, really something special. Somewhere along the line in recent recent memory, there was a little video posted about about the space itself, and it was all it was all exposed. You know, I, I can't remember some of the details, but it is it's and it, what are what what a great location that is too in the old Claridge house yeah yeah and it's kind of you know that that area of downtown has not had a lot of development it's been it's suffered a lot because of 100 north main and some other things and so you know just like we have these pioneering clients that go out to places you know i think that going into that building even though it it had been recently renovated in the 80s and then turned to condos in the 90s um it's it's suffering in that that end of town mostly because of 100 north main but with the things with the convention center and convention center hotel and some promise of 100 North Main. Uh, I think it's a it's a great place to be up there. Great time to be an architect in Memphis. Great time to be a, a preservation architect in Memphis. I would think because because of all the exciting things happening. So Valentina Cochran, Chuch Pickard, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, one thing to, to mention real quick: um, Arc Inc. can be found at arcincmemphis.com. Arcincmemphis.com. Valentina, talk about, um, I, I find it interesting, we don't always see a ton of women in the architectural field, traditionally. Traditionally, yes. And then, um, but then when you look back at the roots, our United States roots of historic preservation, uh, Charleston and New Orleans, preservation efforts were started by groups of women. Do you feel a sense of honoring that legacy as a woman speak to, to to that part of it if you would and you remember i much i, I noticed the the junior league yes yeah yeah so i would have uh, 10 15 years ago i would have said no i don't see it's the same um you know we're all out there working um, men and women in architecture and you know working together and it but i as I've gotten farther along in my career, I have have a different perspective, and it is different. Um, there is, um, if you want to go just like the, I think women bring a different perspective to architecture, and I think that's really shown up, shows up in the early preservation efforts that were led by women. They saw something. They were possibly not in positions to be architects. They possibly um, or civic. Um, or elected officials, and so they banded together. And I think women have a um, history of that, of banding together and going after a cause. And that really, I think, we don't, I don't think we're quite there yet in architecture um, as a profession, 
with the women banding together after a cause or I but I think we're that as more and more women become established as career professionals in this field, I think we'll see some more of that. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting our I mean our our um poster child for historic preservationist is Jane Jacobs. <laughs> right? And um and yet at the same time, you know, it's well, it's just like many professions, right? That in terms, you know, so many professions have been dominated by men for so many years, engineering fields and, and all that stuff. And no, it's 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 great to see it. It's great to see that changing as well. Going back to some of our discussions about uh, streetscapes and and we were talking about Midtown and Union Avenue. Um, you know, Union Avenue to me is like a case study in and itself. Uh, in terms of what can go wrong, <laughs> um, what can go wrong? Uh, it, it it's a case study for all the bad urban planning mistakes over the last fifty years. Um, it is just a mishmash of you name it. So one of the structures you mentioned that you had worked on recently was. You said Union where exactly? Union and Watkins. It's the new Starbucks. The new Starbucks. Okay. You know, and, and I'm one of those who I watch closely, you know, the 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 applications that go in for some of these. And, and I saw that and, and not knowing it, but, you know, Arc Inc. was, was involved in that in that, uh, in that that plan. But I, I can see it now, now that I think about it. Um, when it comes to like a, a, a street like Union Avenue, what what can we do collectively to incrementally improve union? I mean, setting aside the fact that there's all kinds of traffic issues and pedestrian issues, what do you think we could do, really, uh, incrementally to improve it? Uh, the city needs a, a solid plan for the, that is developed by architects, planners, and engineers working together. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of the recent developments that have happened have either been done right because the developer wanted to do right, or the city has allowed them to not do it right because, oh, well, it's too far gone there. And if we get enough momentum in doing the right thing, I think we'll be great. Um, You know, Kroger... For as much as people complain about that parking lot, it's way better than the old parking lot was. Yeah. And they did the right thing by pulling that Kroger up to the street. And, and the and windows along The Union. windows along Union are great. It's pedestrian-friendly. It's bike-friendly. It's all of those things. As opposed to CVS, which used a suburban model and was really a slap in the face that they uh, made a, a an attempt to put some historic nods to the church they tore down there. Um, but, you know, working all the way along, you know, Paragon Bank, they missed an opportunity to make that more pedestrian friendly because they insisted on a drive between the sidewalk and the building instead of pulling that building up. And I know there was a lot of back and forth with the neighborhood. And that's kind of one of the examples I was alluding to that I think there could have been a better design, but I think the activists got in the way of themselves and made some other demands that that pushed some things to go the way they it did. And I think everyone needs to step back and realize we live in Midtown because we love its character, we love the vibrance, we love the amenities. Well, and if we want more of those amenities, more people are going to have to be there. We're going to have more traffic. We're never going to have congestion in this city. We don't have real traffic congestion. We're, we're I, I don't believe we're ever going to have it. Um, sure, if there's construction, it's annoying, but we don't have stop-and-go traffic like other cities do based on just the density and the number of people. And so some people in midtown neighborhoods may get a little upset because they think there's going to be a lot of traffic in their neighborhood. Well, you know, my answer to that is you, you want to live in an urban environment, you're going to get some of that. We're now, it's never going to be a problem where you're sitting at your driveway for five minutes waiting for traffic to move to get through. We just need a little more patience <laughs> yeah. if we do want to live in that atmosphere. I, I, I have to laugh. Um, now, Memphis, I'm going to pick on you for a second. Um, the the traffic problems, <laughs> the quota, I'm putting big air quotes, traffic problems, which do not compare at all 
Uh, I mean, go to San Francisco, uh, go to the, uh, the Capitol Beltway, uh, you know, around DC, um, travel around, uh, anywhere, <laughs> so many different cities and or Atlanta, there's traffic, there's congestion. Um, I mean, the worst, the worst traffic we have is maybe a Friday afternoon at four thirty or five o'clock on the two forty going east. You know, um, and a lot of times it's it's construction has has yeah. made it worse. Yeah, it's it's just not what other cities are. And I even I even don't like it when people complain about Nashville traffic because I mean, yes, they're having some issues there, but nothing like Atlanta and Chicago and L.A. And all. Yeah. you know, we we. Think in Tennessee that we were somehow special. I think, with, or I, I don't know. I, I guess we've been lucky in some sense that we haven't had that. But I mean, you look at development and um, what a great problem it would be if we actually had enough people that caused congestion. Uh-huh. You know, that would mean we'd have a bigger tax base that we'd be able to deal with some of our poverty and education and crime problems in this city if we actually had a tax base that could support transit and better schools and all of those things. And so what do we as Memphians want? Do we want more density in the core where we can get a greater return on our investment and increase those property values and then have money to spend on all of those issues that we all know need to be addressed in this city? But Mm -hmm. with that comes, you know, density but it's still never going to come with congestion the way people fear here no no yeah i think yeah i i agree with you there's there's just even if we added another 50,000 people in the next 5 years we still would not have the kind of congestion some of these other cities have and and parking yeah. people complain about parking downtown there's a lot of parking and it's the most affordable for any city our size or larger I want to, yeah, I, I was, I was going to mention parking because when it comes to new development, um, that's always the, one of the arguments you always hear, uh, for a certain type of application, I need X amount of parking. Um, uh, you hear that from business owners, uh, you hear that from even, even stakeholders will say, where are we going to park? Tell me where I'm going to park. And I, Again, it's another one of those things where I think go to go to some downtowns in other parts of the country and find find a parking spot. Is it really that difficult? You know, um, and then on top of that, just the recent study that was uh, completed by the downtown commission finding that um, there's plenty of parking downtown. <laughs> it's a matter of what logistics, right? Yeah, in it's term- a really nice study. It shows you all the different options, and they did a very nice job of kind of laying that out. We go, oh, yes, tons of parking. Tons of parking. Not always the easiest to find maybe during certain events or, or whatever, but yeah. I, I think maybe people that live out in the suburbs don't know where to find it. I think everyone that lives in Midtown and Downtown, and we frequent the area. Yeah. You know, I know what the prices are. When somebody tells me about how high event parking is, it's $10. Unless it's Memphis in May and event parking is $10, and in any other city it would be 40 or more. Oh, yeah. $10 to park for an evening downtown is nothing. Even less if you're willing to, if you can find a spot on the street with a meter. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And there's plenty of those, too. We just have to, you might just have to walk a few blocks, which, you know, we all could use. A little more of that. Walk, walk a few blocks. Imagine that. <laughs> um, talk about. Uh, I'm really interested because because uh, you um, you are an advocate for older buildings. I'll just I'll just say that um, that um, I feel like you're one of those folks around town who will be the first one to say no. This building is actually pretty structurally sound. It's just a matter of creativity or something. What what do you think it is sometimes where an owner or developer will say, "No, this needs to come down." You and and if folks like you will say, "No, no, it it it, it all it, all it needs is X Y Z." What is the X Y Z that some of these buildings need? You think? Um, 
I mean, it needs. We need more people like me that can recognize the beauty in something that maybe run down, mm-hmm. or recognize the beauty in maybe something that was done in the '60s that not everybody understands. You know, we have such ornate architecture here that they don't realize that we have some amazing mid-century architecture in this city that um, has had some deferred maintenance, and so then it looks a little bit run down and it's not pretty compared to you know, these early 20s and 30s buildings that we have. So, you know, it's hard for some people to look at. So like what right now, um, Hotel Indigo ended up going in. It was built in 1954. Um, I actually got the building put on the National Register, and people thought for years the building, you know, had no no value because they just thought it was an ugly mid-century building. But when I started getting into it a little bit more, I found some things in the history of the building that allowed it to be put on the register, and now it's, you know, Hotel Indigo, and it was the, you know, the first Holiday Inn actually in the core of downtown Memphis and the first hotel over the top of a parking structure in in the country. Um, and so I recognized that early on with the people that were looking to do it, and they, they weren't sure if they wanted to go after historic tax credits, and I convince them that that it was a possibility and and that that would work um same you know ironically that uh same architect that worked on that was one of the architects for the mid-south coliseum which you know the city previous city administration had said oh the building's in terrible shape ada issues are insurmountable life safety issues are horrible it needs to come down and you know I knew that was not going to be the case before I ever stepped foot in that building. And, you know, we've proven that the building is in great shape. The city has now come back with their own engineer study that has uh, corroborated what what we've told them. The Coliseum. The Coliseum. Um, You know, and that it's a great building, but not everybody can see it for its architecture. A lot of people think that... Those of us trying to save it just have nostalgic reasons that, you know, we saw this band or that band. Or wrestling. Wrestling. And I tell you, I have never seen a music event in that space, and I've never been to a basketball game or wrestling in that space. (laughs) My experience prior to going in and, and, and evaluating the building was a River Kings hockey game, which a lot of people have done, but that's not the first thing people think of. And then a David Copperfield magic show. So I didn't come at this with the same kind of nostalgia that people that saw Elvis there or, you know, watched Monday Night Wrestling every week. And, you know, so, yes, that nostalgia is important. But what perspective I bring to it is that uh, Memphis in the 50s, 60s and early 70s was a hotbed for contemporary architecture. We were recruiting Uh, students from all over the country to come here and work under some of the best contemporary architects of their time here. And we were world-renowned for our contemporary architecture, which we now call mid-century architecture. And we, if you look at it a little closer, you might appreciate something. You just can't look at, when you're at the fairgrounds and you look at the Women's Creative Arts Building, which is beautiful, and you put the Coliseum next to it, it's hard for some people to see that architectural importance of the Coliseum. Um, But, you know, add the civic importance of that building and all of the other, you know, things that it's a a citizen-owned asset that's in incredible shape that will cost 8 to $10 million to tear down. It's a no-brainer that we shouldn't do anything, you know, to it as far as tearing it down. Add the nostalgia to that as the icing on the cake of the reason why. it's We don't start with that nostalgia, but it's that authenticity. I mean, that building has such amazing history, Memphis history, music history, sports history, civil rights history. Yeah. You know, yeah. so we need more people to open their eyes a little bit and, and understand all of those reasons why you save a building, not just because of ornate features on it. Yeah. that That's one thing that I'm seeing that is um, – it's it's great to see more people in Memphis um, seeing our assets and understanding the value of our assets and saying, no, let's take a second look at this. It seems like based on what I've heard, you know, over the, you know, the years I've been, the four years I've been here now, um, that there has been a change uh, in, in understanding our assets. I look at the Coliseum you know, and that that was built during an age of the you know the cookie cutter ballparks 
that all look the same, round, you know, concrete, but the Colosseum is different. It really, I mean, just from an architectural standpoint alone, it is different. Um, and it, and yet it's, it's on a, I always look at, I look at it and I feel like it's on a human scale. It's not built for 60,000 people, you know, mm-hmm. it's built for what, 15 or 15 or 18 or was built for 15 or 18, which now would be 11 to 12, 11 to 12. Okay. Yeah. Um, but just architecturally speaking alone, it's, you know, it, to me, it, it feels just on, on a human scale. And then you go in and then, um, and you were part of the um, uh, Coliseum Coalition, of course, right? And part of those efforts, which um, are gaining a lot of momentum every year. Yeah. Daily, I can say, because uh-huh. we've just recently uh, met with the city and we are as close as we've ever been with being able to have our next uh, pre-vitalization event actually inside the building. Mm -hmm. We have a couple of details to work out, but um, this fall we expect to have events in the building. And that really comes from a lot of long, hard work, steady patience with the city and all of the bureaucracy that goes along with that and um, balancing or maybe being difference between organizers and activists Mm -hmm. that we were organized and we we went in and we 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 took a lot of criticism from people who thought we were just doing it for nostalgic reasons Mm -hmm. but also criticism from people that did want it safe for (laughs) for for nostalgic reasons that we weren't waving signs and wearing neon shirts and and screaming and yelling at the city and that was never our approach Mm -hmm. uh we knew it was a a long steady yeah. Uh, ride and um, we're we're closer than ever right now to actually having the public in the building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, final thoughts. Um, when it comes to uh, historic preservation, you know, there's there's a there's an entire subset or group and I uh, and I, I or faction of folks that will say we've got to build new. We've got to have. 30, 40, 50 story skyscrapers in order to be like Nashville, let's say. Um, And yet one of the arguments that I find is can be more effective at times is the economic argument that in terms of long-term economic health, preserving structures can be much healthier, right? Um, talk about that for a second. What do you think about the that I, uh, I like I said, I try to reframe some of the conversations I have at times and, and say, look at the long-term economic benefits of this. Well, renewing a building is the ultimate in recycling. I mean, if we're all going to try to consume less, use less, be better stewards to the our home of earth, then redoing a building that is already there is far and beyond um, a bigger step than new construction. Yes, there are things you get with a new building. You can add those magical HVAC systems that run on less energy and plumbing that does a better job, but all, you're never going to, you, you can't reuse the, you need to, we need to reuse what we have in those instances, I think. Well, and I think we're spread out enough, even in the core of the city, that there are opportunities for new construction and opportunities to renovate. I look at where they're wanting to tear down buildings across from Overton Park when there are so many other sites along Poplar that that have buildings that, that, that should come down, um, whether they were good architecture or not at one time. They're just better locations to do what they want to do there, and that's frustrating to me. Um, you know, and you, you go downtown. There's not a reason to tear a building downtown. There's there's lots out there. You know, we're really fortunate. I, I have this theory that um, after Martin Luther King was shot, you know, you know, urban renewal was happening around that time, and a lot of things were torn down. But in the 70s and 80s, when other cities were tearing down a lot of their historic structures to build big skyscrapers, we weren't doing that, which is on one hand, why some people feel our skyline suffers, that we don't have a lot of really tall buildings. 
But because of the development out east that happened at the same time that he was shot, it was very easy for Memphians to kind of flee downtown. So we weren't developing it. So we're playing catch-up now, but now we actually have that opportunity to infill and get as much density as we can in the spots that are completely vacant now and preserve those buildings. So it's really the best of both worlds. And I think in the end, downtown and midtown can be stronger and more valuable because of that mix of the two. You know, anybody that says we need new, well, we got plenty of room for you. Just do it in the right spots and in the right way. Another thing, too, and anyone who owns 1900, 1910, 1920s house knows this, too. These old structures were built to last. I mean, they're tanks, right? Yeah, I mean, if I were going to get a... (laughs) say, a condo downtown, you know, we have them in historic structures and we have them in newer stick-built buildings. And I kind of look at the new construction down there as like buying a car. The second you pull it off of the lot, it's it's used, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. A historic building is, is like an antique car that you can keep that thing going forever, mm-hmm. you know, and you can, you can, you can keep recycling it and and having a new life for it. There's a limited life to some of these buildings that were built so poorly. Um, and so I don't I don't see the values in new construction being sustainable and, and being able to, to keep keep the buildings up because the yeah. quality of construction just it's impossible to match what we had before. Yeah. I know that uh some this is some this is kind of funny, but something very tangible for millennials to think about is if you, if you live in an old building, chances are you won't hear your neighbors. If you live in a new one, you're going to hear every single thing that happens. Here. Unless it was designed by Architecture Incorporated, because yeah. we did a fabulous <laughs> job on um, sound treatment. Anything else you, you all want to talk about before we close out? No, yeah. just yeah. thanks for having yeah. us. Yeah, thank you for yeah. having us. Great yeah. opportunity. Yeah, thank you again. So uh, thank you again, Valentina Cochran and, and Chooch Pickard of ARC, Inc. And again, thanks again to Jeff Hewlett and his fine acoustic guitar work, to producer Vance Durbin and to WYPL broadcast manager Tommy Warren, to WYPL and the Memphis Public Libraries for their support, and to listeners and supporters of the library and FM 89.3. We hope you join us next time on Storyboard 30 for more conversation with those Memphis personalities and shapers who make our lives here in the Bluff City just a little bit better. Memphis, make it a great week. Mm-hmm.